How's it going, well, Todd? How are you, Riley? I'm doing pretty good, man. Well, you guys look good. <laughs> At least we got something going for ourselves. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Forging Brains Podcast. Today, we have a pretty special guest. Uh, this is a guy that is well-respected, and as he should be, in the blacksmith world, the artist world, the horseshoeing world. Man, you can't meet too many makers that would see Tom's work and not be impressed right away. So, welcome, Tom, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be on with two real good hands like you guys are. I'm I was just telling him a few minutes ago how proud I am of you young guys that go after it, and you guys are get go-getters. Thank you. We appreciate that very much, especially coming from a guy of your caliber. Oh, Chucks. I, I, I didn't... <laughs> Man, so, Tom, it'd be great to... Uh, hear some of your background and I, I don't even want to necessarily just hear your background of your your horseshoeing I would like to hear a little bit of your background of just growing up and how maybe you got this artistic way to you and maybe where it began well I, I've been lucky my whole life God's been good to me he's uh lined me up with people you know I think I think people come into your life and some of them are bad and some of them are good, and you got to make a choice of which group to follow. And I, I mm -hmm. back at my life, and I could see people that came into my life. I got your hammer here anyway because of. Uh, I think people come into your life, and I could look back at it, and I think most old timers can too, and say, you know, if I'd have followed that guy, I probably wouldn't have done nothing. But I, I made a choice to follow this. And I, from, from as, as a little kid, I'm legally blind in my left eye. It, really? Yeah, it, it'll, it's never correctable. <clears throat> so if I take my glasses off and I, everything pretty soon, if I shut this eye off, everything will pretty much go black. So I have, uh -huh. I have a different depth perception, I think, than other people. And I don't look at it probably the same way as people do because my depth perception is off. And it looks like okay. Riley. Did Riley leave us? Yeah. Okay, so you... Yeah, his internet must have. You but he'll pop back in. Keep going. Uh, anyway, when I was in school as a little boy, they, they would... Uh, make fun of me because I had to wear a patch on this eye. They thought that would help my left eye get stronger. Well, they know now. Yeah. They know now if you don't do that soon enough that it'll never get better. And I was walking through school pretty much with a patch on my eye and it wasn't one of them cool pirate patches. <laughs> patches that looked horrible. And uh, I had a real good dad. He was from Oklahoma. My mom and dad are both from Oklahoma. and uh, But he didn't like long hair. No offense, Gavin. <laughs> 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 he, uh, set us in a chair and cut our hair off. And uh, Okay. So now you got to remember, I was about 50 miles south of Chicago going to school. Being raised mm -hmm. in Okie. 
And uh, so I, I got teased a lot because that's when the Beatles came in and, and the monkeys and all that. And uh, we weren't allowed to listen to that stuff. None of that music at all. Well, no, we could listen to country music. We could listen to Hank Williams or something, Bob Wills. Uh-huh. But I got made fun of in school, and I'm not mad at my father for that because I think it did help make me what I am today. Maybe it's not good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. But <clears throat> I was made fun of quite a bit, and I, I had a really bad pigeon toes. I had... I was pigeon-toed as a kid, and they, just like a horse, really? like a horse they, they said, well, we'll build up the outside of his shoes, and it'll turn him out. So I wore these yep. weird-looking shoes with big leather cap on the toes, so I'm stumbling <laughs> a patch on one eye, a bald head, <laughs> weird-looking shoes, and uh, I made fun of a lot, and I was really kind of... Within myself, I kind of, so when in school, okay. when they would let us draw pictures or when they, mm -hmm. free time, I would draw. And I used to look at those hot rod magazines. Years ago, there was a bunch of them hot rod magazines. And there was an artist, oh yeah, a cartoonist that used to draw dragsters, different things like that. But I was really good at that. I, I'd sit there and I'd draw a dragster. And I'd pull that patch off my good eye, and I'd draw the dragster. One of the cool kids walked by my by my desk one day. And I was little. I was always real little. <clears throat> and he was one of them. And this is probably no more than fourth grade, maybe. Third, fourth grade. Okay. And he he looks down, and he goes, hey, look what the weird kid drew. And he, <laughs> and he showed everybody, and they were in awe of it. The weird kid did something. So he, <laughs> I could draw a picture for him. And it, and all of a sudden I was cool because I could do it. Yeah. So I pursued it and I kept drawing and I kept anything to do with art. I knew that I could do it. And uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it didn't make me one of the cool kids really, but they knew that I could do something. And I think today, deep down, I'm still trying to make people go, hey, look what the weird kid did. Look at that. <laughs> and I'm, I think it's still in me. You know what? Some people could have took that and felt sorry for themselves forever. Yes. But I found it as a way to do something. And not because I... Fuel to your fire. Not because I was smart. But I, it made me accepted that that they yeah. didn't beat me up no more, and they didn't make fun of me no more. So I that's how I became interested in art, and I think I think God gave me a little bit of talent in that in that uh, area. A friend of mine in high school, he was he was an artist, a, a better artist than me, I think. Uh, his name's Frank. Fosco, and if you look him up, he was one of the artists that created the uh, Teenage Ninja Turtles in the cartoon hmm. books. And uh, he yeah. was one year older than me. And when I would go into art class in high school or junior high, 
I would always go over because we had these little cubicles where you could put your artwork and the other artists could look at it. And uh, I'd always go over and check out his work. And he, I, I thought, man, I got to draw. That guy draws better than anybody in here. Well, now we're friends on Facebook. We found each other again after 45, 50 years. And uh, cool. I found out that he helped create that. And he's, he was he drew for a lot of comic books. And he's very good. But I, I've been attracted to people that are artistic because, you know, it's the same interest. So you, you, mm-hmm. But some artists, I'll tell you a quick story. You don't have to ask me a lot of questions because I could I could rule it. That's fine. This is perfect. <laughs> we is love great. it. <laughs> we was whenever I found out I couldn't shoe horses no more, and I really tried for eight years. I worked with sciatic pain, and and it it was it got to where you're cheating a horse. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In yeah. other words, you're trying to do a good job, but your body says you just can't do it. So you you you'll do something that normally, if you're fit, you would you would say, "No, I got to do that different." But when you're hurting real bad, you'll say, "That's good enough." Well, that's when I quit because I did not want to cheat the horse. I didn't really care. Oh, that's cool. The owners, you can't care. You got to care about that horse because yep. that's your patient, and you're trying to make that patient right. So whenever I got to the point where I couldn't do it no more and the doctors told me I better stop, I had an operation. They put uh, a rod in my back and screws, titanium screws and a rod. Holy cow. Yeah, and they were going to do it on my other side. I got I only got it on one side. And this is for your, like, sciatica pain? Well, well my – no, I had uh, all them discs back there were just – they were gone. Oh, and sitting on the sciatic nerve. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they had to open all them up. It was a pretty rigorous. It was about an eight-hour surgery. And wow, they were going to put rods on both sides, but they, when they got in there, they found my spine had twisted. Because my left side was where the sciatic pain was, and whenever I get under a horse on the left, on the yeah, the left hind. I'd have to twist my body to get away from the pain to work. So if you yep. mm-hmm. ears getting away from pain, pretty soon your body, just like a horse, you know, if he stands with one foot with all the weight on it and the other foot gets all up in the air. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The same thing, if you're doing that day in, day out, your spine's going to adjust to the way you're doing things. So they couldn't fix the other side. But anyway, they did cut me, though. I got, I got my back, but anyway, my I thought, what am I going to do? And uh, Roy Bloom, a close friend of mine who I love dearly, he said, "Well, you got to work in your shop. You got to make things." And like so mm-hmm. many people, you go, "Well, what am I going to make? And who's going to buy it?" Well, and I think you guys are probably the same. Riley, you're probably, you're. I know you're the same. You build it, and they will come, won't they? Yep, yeah, they will. They'll find you. You cannot sit on your butt and expect people to go, hey, Tom, hey, Tom. <laughs> yeah. If you have no business and you've got money enough to have a fire and a hammer and an anvil, go make something. Go. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it'll come. But anyway, 
I, Roy says, you got to get a power hammer. And I never had a power hammer in my life till 11 years ago, 10 years ago. Because Roy talked me into it. Roy spends my better than I do. <laughs> but we, I got an am, uh, a power hammer and uh, I didn't know how to run it. And I still don't know how to run it right. Because all I ever used was if I wanted to forge something heavy, I never had a striker around here. You just didn't have them. So I'd use a four pound hammer. And Roy says, you quit that mm-hmm. crap. You're an old guy. You got to get a, get a tool. Mm-hmm. But I really was. I, I'd use the same pair of tongs for everything and adjust them. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I got to where I was making a bunch of stuff, just whatever was in my mind. And I would, and I'd see something in my head and I'd try to build that and build this. And then I got enough stuff to go to an art show. Okay. In Chicago. Kind of a fancy one. And I don't fit in with them folks too good, but I don't think much of any of us do. <laughs> We're on the same page. They probably don't like us too much either, but that's okay. We you know, if we all like the same thing, we'd all be Mary Dant B. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, we we had enough stuff to go to this art show and a friend of mine, she was a very smart girl. She was. Uh, she used to work with me when I was still shoeing. She would pull shoes, and uh, really good at shaping shoes. While I was trimming the feet, she could look over from the anvil, shape them, and throw them down at my feet before I was even done. And I'd say, "Hey, hey, slow down a bit." <laughs> oh, we got eight to do. Come on, smart girl. She educated in Chicago, and she got me this gig to go to this art show. So I went to the art show, and uh, I'm setting up this tent. Everybody had to have the same color tent, you know, white tent. Setting up the tent. We get it. We get everything set up in there, and I'm walking around wanting to look at the other artist stuff. And I come back to the tent, and I said, hey, Kim, I said, these artist people, they're weird. And she says, yeah, no. (laughs) Said you should fit in just fine but anyway i started making things and next thing you know in chicago they got money up there and that's where you want to go you can't make money working for poor people i i don't think that right. in a bad way but you poor people your heart will get in the way which is not wrong i mean we got to be good to poor folk but they ain't going to pay you what a rich man's going to pay you for for your work. And my, told no. me that many years ago, my cousin lived in California, Ontario, California. <clears throat> and uh, I was in the Marine Corps out there. And I went to his shop on a weekend one time. And he's, he's a good cousin. I love him to death. But he was a very good mechanic. He, he knew how to tear apart any engine when he was little. And he could build it back. And I went to his shop. He had Parnelli Joneses. Most people didn't know that Parnelli Jones had race boats, too. He had uh, drag boats. And he was working on Parnelli's boat, and he had somebody's motorcycle in there. And I said, what are you doing to that motorcycle? He said, well, I'm tuning it up. I said, well, how much do you get for tuning a motorcycle up? I mean, what do they got? Two spark plugs, you know? I mean, and he goes, I get $150. Now, this was back in the 70s. Now, $150 was a lot of money in the 70s. 
I said, man, you get $170 tune-up motorcycle? He said, yeah, he's a rich guy. He says, you don't make money working for the poor folk. And I learned that. I learned that. I mean, some, some of the rich people can be a pain in the pooper. But that's where the money's at. And everybody's got to shoe horses. for All horses need care. And we all do it. We, we'll say, I'll oh, bring that kid's horse over here and we'll shoe it. But that's how I got started in art was because I couldn't shoe horses anymore. Any more questions? <laughs> Just scratching the surface, Tom. Yeah. Man, so you, you found out pretty quick, it seems like then in school, that just like you were using your natural talent to, it seemed like you realized it made other people happy. And when it made them happy, it made you happy. And I think like you, like you said, you could have looked into that deeper and thought like, oh, they were using you or something, you know, or just like you because of your art, but it's, well, your art is you. So they liked that's, you. And that's as, that's as far as you looked into it, you know? I, and I, to this day, of course, you know, not everybody's going to like you. And if they do, there's something wrong with you. I mean, yep. you're up for something or you're giving mm -hmm. in somewhere, but it's been a good role for me. And getting back to what I said, I think God put people in, in, in my path. I met Roy in 1976. That was long before you boys were. <laughs> yeah. Well, I came home on leave from the Marine Corps. I hung around horse people before I went in the Marine Corps. I used to clean stalls when I was a kid over here at Head 30 Head, took care of them. And, of course, I'd seen horseshoers come in. That's back when they had everybody had the coal forges in the back of their trucks. And it really intrigued me to watch them. But that was uh, Roy Bloom. I came home on leave. They said, you got to come meet this guy. He's kind of weird. And I said, well, I, I think I'll like him. So we went to his house, yeah. and uh, he was a horseshoer at the time. And he lived in this old farmhouse, and he lived upstairs, and he had to walk up these stairs, and it was in the winter. And he, like you, Riley, he was skinning skunks and raccoons, and he <laughs> on the walls of the stairs going up. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking up there, I go, I think I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> but I've never seen him. We walked in. He had thing almost like a piranha in a aquarium. He lived by himself. I did own like six piranhas at one time too. <laughs> I remember that. Well, he, I, he had one fish in there. I, I found out later it was an Oscar. I don't even know what that is. But I don't know. You throw a freaking night crawler in there, and he'd tear it to pieces. <laughs> so I learned that. But anyway, I walked in there. Well, you had to go through his kitchen first. And then you went into the living room, which was just little. Everything was little. And all over the living room was wood chips. Wood chips hmm. everywhere from carving. Oh. He was carving an owl. He had an owl there that he was carving. And then he was sitting there in a chair, and he had hair down like yours again. <laughs> And he's sitting there with a vest made out of deer skin that chewed to make it soft. Now, okay. all the time, more and more. He's taking beads and he's beading this 
vest out of deer hide. And I, I said, they said, Tom, uh, Roy Bloom, this is Tom Willoughby. He said, nice to meet you. And he went right back at it, putting them beads on there. And I talked to him, we, and we became friends. So every time I'd come home on leave, I'd try to go see him. He probably forgot about me because he was a big shot horseshoer. Even at that time, he had a lot of clients. Then when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I went to shoeing school because I found out the GI Bill would pay for that. And I went to horseshoeing school and became a horseshoer. But while I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. That's north of okay. Philadelphia. And I was there during the time they filmed the Rocky movie when they down in Philadelphia and uh, Broad Street, they call it. I was there for three years. Well, when I first got there, I, they shipped me from El Toro, California to Willow Grove. And uh, we we had to, uh, in, in El Toro, they had a, a bull riding team, a Marine Corps bull. It wasn't really a team. We just got had a bunch of bulls. Collective group. Played around. Everybody got together with like minds, you club more or less and then when we got out there i said there ain't gonna be no bull riding out here in new jersey i said there's no way no way in pennsylvania there's no bull riding so i was kind of depressed because i thought i wasn't gonna find nobody with my mindset and i wasn't no good at bull riding by the way i i was a professional faller offer <laughs> I, I had no but I never turned one out. I have, That's my only bragging point. I never turned one. I don't care how bad he was. I was going to fall off that one too. But yep. <laughs> but I was on listening to the radio. We was working on airplanes. And I, I heard him advertise a rodeo in Woodstown, New Jersey. Now, a lot yeah. of the old timers know where Woodstown's at. And that's where Bruce Daniels was from, that area. Well, I didn't know Bruce Daniels from Adam because I wasn't a horseshoer at the time. But I said, I'm going to go to this rodeo and I'm going to interrupt. And it was a PRCA rodeo. So it was a it was a top of the line rodeo. I mean, oh, yeah. this rodeo was started the same time Donnie Gay's rodeo was started down there in, in, by Fort Worth. Okay. A guy named that started it was Howard Harris. And his boy still runs that rodeo. It's still a PRCA show every Saturday night from like May until September. Every Saturday night. And <clears throat> Donnie Gay fell off a lot of bulls there. Donnie Gay is not going to come up here and ride any of my bulls. <laughs> so that that stuff of pulling their name out of a hat, I didn't. I don't think was working. You know what I'm for the draw. I think they said, "Well, there's his bull right there." Just give them the rankest yeah. one. <laughs> Most of these bulls came from Okeechobee, Florida, down in the Florida. But it, Okeechobee. Get back, quit talking about that stuff. Uh, I met a boy there. He's three years older than me. His name Frank Beam. He was the guy that actually started me shoeing horses. He worked at Penn National Racetrack. And I met him at that rodeo. We became friends instantly. I became friends with his brother, and uh, his brother taught me how to float horse teeth. And because uh, we used to float teeth and shoe horses at the same stop, man, you could do it all. Might as well make all the money. 
And uh, anyway, that's where I started Frank Beam. And then I, I became, when I got out, went to shoeing school over here in Illinois. Uh, that's where I started going with Roy. And me and Roy became a whole, our businesses were pretty much meshed together. And for seven years, me and Roy Bloom shot horses together. And how cool can that be? Oh, yeah. No, that's a pretty big one, especially because you guys, I, I love being around you guys together when you guys are there because you guys are just feeding off each other so much. So I could only imagine how much it was it, in that time with you guys shooing horses every it day. It was fun because Roy is very analytical. Roy has a different kind of brain than I got. Uh, but you're right. Because of the way we were, we could build anything. We could shoe any horse, anything, because one guy kind of picked up for the other guy. And, and, and we would, we would, back then, we were shoeing keg shoes. We had, and we would hand make shoes at least once a week at the horse. And then we would look each other's and we would critique each other and on our work. And, mm-hmm. But we were pretty much all keg shoes. And, uh, but we wanted to learn more about everything. So if Bruce Daniels was ever in the area, given on a clinic, me and were on the yeah. front seat, right on the bleachers, watching every blow he did. And uh, anybody else that came in that we, what got me and Roy interested, I'll start to tell you this story. I, I want to leave some stories for Roy to tell. Because <laughs> on all of them okay everything you don't believe all of it <laughs> but one day Roy says hey Tom they're have, they have this thing called a banner and I said what's a banner and he told me artist blacksmith of America whatever however they say that and uh, he says it's at Studebaker Homestead in Ohio Guy, Mr. Studebaker and he had a homestead down there in Ohio by Troy, Ohio, where they have sofa now, the big blacksmith get together. But it was it was at Studebaker. And Roy says, we'll just take your truck. We'll throw a mattress in the back of this one truck and we'll sleep on the mattress. It was camp. We had a camper, you know, one just little cap. And we'll sleep in that and we'll stay there two or three days. I said, well, what are we going to see? He said, blacksmiths. They're going to be making stuff. Making stuff? All right, let's go. So we went. And uh, we we pulled in late at night because we shot horses that morning. And we found a place to park. And we just jumped in the back of the truck and went to sleep. Next morning, a cannon woke us up. They were shooting a cannon right behind the truck. But of course, I'm sure there wasn't no live rounds in it. But it was one of them Civil War cannons, you know. And mm-hmm. popped their heads out of that camper and lifted it up. And we're watching the smoke rings come out of that thing. And Roy goes, I think we're going to like it here. Said, <laughs> so we walked around and we found this guy named Tom Joyce. Tom Joyce is a a wonderful, wonderful blacksmith. If you guys ever heard of him, did you ever hear him? I have Look it, him up. Tom Joyce, he... He was probably about eight years older than me and Roy. Well, Roy's old. Roy's 70 years old. I'm 65. So Roy's my elder. But anyway, 
Tom Joyce, we watched him and he made faces on the end of steel. You know, like, I mean, a big, like two inch bar. And he put it in a post vice and he was showing you how to make a face. And he, like a smiley face or a human, human face. faces. Yeah. Beards and mustaches and everything and hair. Well, okay. we're intrigued now. I mean, now you got us. Me and Roy's are just zoned in on that stuff. The guy's <laughs> making a hinge. We got to eat lunch, and, and heck, that guy came over and sat by me and Roy, and we felt honored because we're thinking this guy's a mystery wizard, you know? This guy's making cool stuff. And he had good stories to tell. Very smart, man. And uh, anyway, after that weekend, we saw quite a bit of other guys, but Tom Joyce was the one that really lit the fire. Roy goes, we get home, we're going to make all that shit. I said, okay. <laughs> so we went into a shop. And uh, we we had a, oh, I don't know, about an inch round bar. He said, let's make a face on this bar. I said, okay. So we started collecting tools and fixing punches and doing different things. And Roy says, I would say, you take a heat, I take a heat. You take a heat, I take a heat. So we built this thing. He goes, Tom, and this he told me this like two years ago. I have tried to make a face as good as that face. And he says, I still can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I probably couldn't either because we were, it was like going to a NASCAR race for the first time. We were just all excited and, oh, let's try that. We, we went, we went at it without abandon. You know what I'm saying? There was nothing we couldn't try. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to be. You just got to say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. But he goes, I, I can't make another one like that. I just can't build another face like that. And I've built quite a few faces, and i got to admit, I can't build one as cool as that one is either. I said, did you lose it? He said, not yet. I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, though, if, like, because I, I have that happen with some items that I make sometimes, and I think that it's, like, I wasn't scared of anything, yes. and I didn't have anything in mind. Right. I was just doing yes, it. Yes, and sometimes that's the that's the fun about art that I like. All right. I'm not really a good man with a ruler. Roy will tell you that. I stuck with a ruler. I stuck with all kind of things like that. When it comes to mathematics, I glaze over like a donut. But yeah. if you give me a parameter, I could get the parameter. You let me fill in the middle. There's nobody to say, hey, you did that wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you just do it. And it, that's the freedom a lot of times of art is that you have freedom to do it. Uh, I loved making horseshoes years ago when I was a kid. Matter of fact, me and Roy and, and two other guys, Dan Hausman, uh, Doug Hahn, there's about four of us that would gather up like on a Sunday and we'd back up. Mm -hmm. And we would build shoes and we would do things. But the shoemaker, you you have to be precise. That's what, that's where, that's precision. And sometimes I get tired of having to pucker my butthole, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'd just make a pizza, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, oh, yeah. Or things that I enjoy. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. We was in Roy's mom's garage, his dad's garage. And that's where Roy did a lot of his blacksmithing when he still lived around his mom. 
he had a table forge in there and and uh we did i don't think we had a post vice but we would i would come over there like on sunday afternoons and this is when we were still learning i mean we didn't know much but we had seen a, a ram's head made mm-hmm. and we seen it didn't didn't see the guy build it but we seen it and we'd say all right well you got to do this you got to do that you know you you dissect it backwards you know what i mean when you yeah. got to go back to where what did it look like when he started and how did he get to this so i had made a couple ram's heads and roy says i think i'm going to make a ram's head and i said well that's wonderful i said you go ahead and make a ram's head he said what are you going to make i said i'm going to make an elephant head <laughs> so and we we were allowed, we didn't have rules. I mean, if we had a welder in there, we were going to use a welder to do things. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did. One time, you ever only no one looking? <laughs> do you get that? Oh, something. Can you? Yeah, I don't know what that noise is. That's weird. I don't know either. I might be something with Riley. Maybe, maybe he got something in the microwave. <laughs> no, he. Uh, so the way he has his uh, setup is he's in his shoe and trailer, oh. and then he's got a inverter to power his laptop and everything. Are you good, Riley? Yeah, I think I'm here. We just lost the lights in here. The- <laughs> I guess the battery wasn't happy. <laughs> but anyway, Jim Keith said, I said, Jim, do you ever cheat? And he says, only when no one's looking. <laughs> I said, oh, that's a good one. And then he said, if Michelangelo had a welder, a wire feed welder, you don't think he wouldn't have used it? I said, you're right. Th- that'll get me on another course. Anyway, I don't. I even lost what I was talking about. T- There's no rules with black. There you go. And being, a, being an yes. artist. Well, here... Here's the thing, too. When you show me something made by a blacksmith and they say that's all one piece, there's no electric welds on there that's all. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate that. I do, because I can look at that and go, wow, this guy worked hard. Like, how the heck? Yeah, how did he do this? How did he do that? But if you tell the public that, if you're trying to sell art to the public, they don't care. They don't care. It out of one piece or ten pieces. They like it mm-hmm. or they don't. So if you're making a lot of stuff for 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 uneducated people, I'm not saying meaning that in a bad way. Then if you can make it quicker by doing it this way, because they ain't gonna appreciate it if it's made out of one piece. If you know what I'm saying. In other yeah. words, they're not gonna break out their wallet and say, Well, I'm gonna give you more money for that. They're not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to say, well, all right, because I used to go, I used to think every everything I built, blacksmiths are going to see it. You know, it's going to be a blacksmith, guys. Well, I had to get out of that. If you want to build things quicker, you have mm-hmm. to, you got to do what you got to do to make the money. But anyway, Royden says, I'm going to make a, I came back to me. Royden says, I'm going to make a ram's head. And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to make an elephant. So we went to work. We he was in the shop. Nobody's watching each other. We're making it. And my elephant head's coming around pretty good. I took two big old nails, 
carpenter nails and made tusks coming out of it, and I broke and made it as a hook thing. And Roy's over there making his ram's head. And finally, he come over and he showed it to me. He said, "Look at this, Tom." And I looked and I said, "That looks like a moose." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, it does look like a moose, doesn't it?" But yeah, I said, "So take them horns you got all squeezed out there, make make antlers and put in him, and then weld them on." So he did, and he still has that on his wall, too. But he uses this story. He goes, you know the difference between a good blacksmith and a bad blacksmith? A good blacksmith, if he tells you he was going to make a ram's head, he makes a ram's head, not a moose head. <laughs> <laughs> so in my shop, we kind of have a, if we have hammer ends or somebody comes over, I'll say, I'll say, what are you making? You ever have them guys that reach something and then they go over there and they start banging around an anvil and they're not telling you what they're doing? Because I don't necessarily know I yet. make them tell me what they're doing. Because I said, yeah. this shop, you got to call your pocket. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you say you're this and it turns out to be that, then you sucked. You did bad. <laughs> oh, I, I got a pile of junk behind my shop. I don't show nobody. Yeah, <laughs> it's been good. I've been taught well. I learned, and I hated school, but I loved horseshoeing. I think that that's the key too: is to find what a kid wants to do in life. Well, maybe they don't know exactly, but you know their skills that they're interested in, and you nurture them along to that direction. And I think you will have a better world that way. They have a choice. They get. They got. They've already. They've already kind of define their line a lot of times they say today oh they're too young to learn that they're too young to learn this they're too no you know in the old days they were learning stuff when they were eight when they were nine they were taking care of stores when they were 10 because they were taught and they weren't coddled to the point saying they're too young to learn that's like horses i'm sure you guys been in just you got a horse that's kind of unruly, and they they've had this horse for three years from a baby, and it's really mm -hmm. and you, you say you know hey you got to make this horse mind a bit. Well, it's just only three years old, and then I go, what are you gonna do? Wait till he's seven? <laughs> you you have to teach. I mean, there's no excuses. You could they can learn as soon as they learn to say no. It's time to teach them. When they learn that, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of with horses and with kids. It seems like I'm pretty young, so it's like I, I shoot, shoot this out there. But it's like yeah. uh, you either spoil them, like this for the common themes, they get spoiled to the point where they're unruly and mad, or they get their confidence so shut down they never think they can do it. Exactly, exactly. My grandkids live right next door. They're homeschooled. Every day is an education in my shop. Every day they'll come in here. That's cool. We we talk about everything. This morning, well, we've had a few snoopers around the chicken coop next door. But, you know, mm. Some of them raccoons, you know, in the fall and the spring, they get really kind of, you got to put them in check occasionally. So we went there, my, my uh, granddaughter, She's been setting traps here last couple nights, and we've caught quite a few. And uh, but she learns that you have to protect those chickens. 
those chickens make eggs for us. Yep. And them coons want them. Yep. <laughs> well, they can go find something else. Them are our chickens. Yeah. It's a it's a hard lesson, but years ago, if you needed to shoot a coyote, you shot a coyote. Nowadays, people go, "Oh, don't you can't do that." Well, yeah, I can. My finger still works. I got one good eye. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do it. We we keep things in check around here. You know, when I was younger in the seventies, a raccoon hide would bring you thirty five dollars. In the seventies, you know. Wow, so that's pretty good money then. Yes. Well, everybody and their brother was trapping, doing whatever it took to get some coons. It muskrat would bring you seven dollars if you saw one along the road, threw it in the truck. <laughs> Decent. Yeah. So, what I'm trying to say is, back in them days, I have nothing against coyotes, raccoons, and I'm sure you don't either, Riley. You you have love for these animals the way they. Yep. The way they're cunning and they're, but around here where I live, nobody keeps them in check no more. And there's just way too many of them. They can just do whatever yes, they want. Yes, they rule the night. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bad because nobody keeps them in check. Back then, people would keep them in check because there was a fur market. You, we had trappers. Every ditch around here had a, a muskrat. Conibear traps, we had them all in there and we was catching. But nobody does it no more because I don't know how much a muskrat hide is by you, Riley. What is that? Uh, muskrats, you're going to be lucky to get like four bucks for a muskrat and you might get $10 for a raccoon, yeah. which anybody, $10 doesn't go very far no. today. And anybody that has ever gone through the hassle of trapping yep. and putting up raccoons. Yep. Uh, knows that it's it's a lot more work than ten dollars so nobody does and that's yeah it's just like anything else everything everybody follows the money you know and things change so they're not worth any money anymore and even where i live in the pretty far west and in the place where there's like not that long ago this was homesteaded area Mm -hmm. and but it's still already we have other people moved into the area where i'm the only trapper in our whole entire valley so it's like but i don't do it for the money i'm still doing it just to make like you in my opinion that's how our world meshes pretty well together like you is that we me and the wildlife respect each other's roles in our circle yes exactly i'm with you man i'm proud of you when i see them bobcats you catch and all that it's good to see the guys are doing stuff like that i mean heck when you're a horseshoer you can combine that right into your business well you got to drive over here you Stop, check my traps, do this and that. But anyway, I hope I entertained you for a little while. No, this is this has been great, Tom. Uh if you don't if you don't gotta go uh, real quick, uh, I we'd love to hear like uh how did was Roy your first introduction to horseshoeing? No. Like or were were you already like seeing horses and horseshoeing before you went to the Marine Corps? Well, I was taking care of horses and I like I say I had there was an old blacksmith that came there and I was cleaning thirty two head of stalls I mean thirty two stalls every morning and every night because they wanted clean stalls. You had to pick them in the morning, then you had to pick them at night. Because they were catering to people with money. So, you know, you gotta knock the cobwebs and you gotta do all that. But that's where I first saw a horseshoer 
making horseshoes in a coal fire in the back of his truck. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, went to the Marine Corps, Pennsylvania, met Frank Bean. Frank Bean was the the shoer. He's he's still now the lead shoer at Penn National Racetrack Thoroughbred. And I'm still good friends with him, and I love him like a brother. But th- that's where I learned. That's where I got inter- interested. Because okay. Frank would, on my days off from the Marine Corps, I would ride with Frank, and I'd hold horses for him at, at the racetrack. And one day, and we were pretty fit in them days. We we lifted a lot of weights, and we ran. We were we weren't big muscle heads, but we were fit little guys. And uh, he says, "I'll bet you can't pull a shoe off a horse." Well, I thought, well, I'm going to take that challenge up. And, of course, just like everybody learning, your legs do the Elvis thing. And you're holding the horse up and you can't, you don't, mm-hmm. you get, finally get it off. And he goes, well, you got a shoe off. I bet you can't run the knife. And then next thing you know, I'm trying to run the knife. And every chance I got uh, when I was uh, on my weekends, I'd go hang around Frank and, and his brother. And they were really good horsemen. They They were probably the even to till this day, Frank Bean to me is probably the best horseman I ever met when it comes to groundwork, to being around a horse, to make one mind. He was it. And Frank is, like I say, Frank and Roy are about the same size and have the same mustache. But them two guys, Roy and Frank, that's the two guys that inspired me the most and because Roy was such a good, I came home because my dad was sick after I got out of the Marine Corps. And uh, so that's when I started shoeing horses around here and went to shoeing school. But Roy says, you know, Tom, that's when we became friends and started shoeing together. One day, we I made something. We used to try to out-carve each other. We would take old frost shoeing knives and take their handles and carve weird things in the handles. And then when they, the knives got old, we would give them away to our customers. But Roy taught me this, and it, it has stuck with me for many, many years. I thought I was done with something, whether it was a blacksmith thing or a wood carving, whatever it was. But Roy goes, are you done with that? And I said, yeah, I'm done with that. He says, well, let me bring that home, and I'll bring it back tomorrow. I said, all right. He walks in. He says, now it's done. And I saw the difference between what I thought was done to being finished. Because Roy checked it. You know, like how when you build one of these knives, you're looking at every little nick and blemish, ain't you? You can see it when it's across the room. When you make a horseshoe, Gavin, you can see every place where you stumbled on that horseshoe. Because you remember, well, right there at that spot, I kind of did that to it. So, but before I didn't really notice that stuff. But Roy taught me, you got to look at everything, man. You got to look at everything. And he's always been like that. I've got I've got a, a fuller up here on my wall. It's the first fuller Roy Bloom made on a power hammer. And it's a beauty, and I've had it for probably 39 years. He made it with a little giant power hammer, 25-pounder, and I, I'm in the shop doing something else because I didn't like the power hammer. And uh, 
I hear something fall on the floor. What, what, what's the matter with that? He said, I don't want it. Why? Said, the eye's a little crooked. And I went, I'll just hold it crooked. I don't care. That won't. He goes, get it out of here. Well, I took it. And it's up there. Let me see if I can see it. <laughs> That's it right there. That's the first Fuller Roy made on, on a power hammer. Looks pretty dang nice, if you ask me. It's a beauty. Yeah. And I have made shoes with this thing. I've used it to texture stuff. I've done all kind of stuff. And then Roy comes in my shop now. He'll go, Where, where's that Fuller? I want to see the Fuller. Uh-huh. So that's it. They don't have no stamp. Me and Roy didn't have no stamps. Roy did get a stamp. No, no. Roy used letter stamps. He would put RB on everything. RB. And uh, I didn't have no letter stamps. So one day, Roy comes in my shop. And I got a shoe vise here with it. it most, a lot of the old stuff has this. It had 2023 on them. I had, hmm. I had number stamps. I didn't have letter stamps. I had numbers. He goes, what's 2023? I said, that's my initials. <laughs> he said, me, 23. <laughs> oh, so the letter in the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we had fun. And back in them days, nobody had really stamps. We didn't really care. We just made stuff. So a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, occasionally we'll see something that we made years ago and, and we'll go, holy crap, Roy, we didn't even have a mark to put on them. We didn't care. Just to get it. And we made a lot of stuff for the conventions. Uh, Walt Taylor. I don't know. We made two things. I got into a kick 35 years ago making door knockers. So I made all kind of door knockers. A lady come to me one time said, can you make a dash hound head? Now this is 30 years ago. I mean, long time. Didn't know much about blacksmithing, but we knew how to push forward anyway. Mm-hmm. I sold a house to a lady, and they raised dash hounds. Can you make a, a door knocker with a dash hound head on it as the knocker? I said, well, yeah, I guess so. You just flatten them. Instead of making a ram's head, you flatten them ears, you know, and pull them down. Anyway, I made it. My little nephew probably about... And he come into the place where I was building it. And he goes, what you making, Tom? Uncle Tom? And I said, Does, what what kind of dog is that? What does that look like? What kind of dog? He said, dash hound. I said, got it. So, but I made door knockers. And I came in Roy's shop one time. I said, we got to make the top of an anvil. And then the knocker part will be a hammer. And it'll hang with the horn down. So we made it We made it 3D to where it had to step in the anvil and everything. And the horn kind of come off the door. Mm-hmm. I made one, we made one like that. Then Roy made one look like the face of a Bruce Daniels anvil. Because that's what we got into. Because Bruce was really pushing them. And we liked Bruce. So we had Bruce Daniels anvils. And, and matter of fact, I still like them. I, I, I do. <clears throat> I'm kind of the biggest proponent for them. But anyway, 
he made one and I made one. And I we think, I'm not sure, and Roy probably tell me this week because he's coming down. I think Walt Taylor bought one many years ago and he put it on the office. I don't know which one he bought, but they, they were both in the AFA auction. We made a a hummingbird. Roy, Roy had gotten that power hammer and he said, I'm going to make a calla lily. I didn't even know what a calla lily was. I said, all right, you make a calla lily. He said, but you're going to make a hummingbird to go in it. And I said, now Roy's educated. Roy's got more education than me. Mm. He goes, well, you make a calla lily go in there. I mean, a hummingbird. And I said, all right. I've never made one. He said, can you make one? I said, yeah, I can make one. So I made the little hummingbird with a big long nose, but I made that all one piece. And I, I didn't know how I was going to put wings on it. So I made a slice in it and got copper, made copper wings. And then I made a copper tail and I smacked, just hammered them on there. So it holds, you know, mm -hmm. copper. And we put the nose in that calla lily and, he made the calla lily out of a coil spring. So he made that stem real thin and we had an old hammerhead and he put the stem in the eye of the hammerhead and he slammed that shut and that held the stem and the calla lily and it would just do that. When you touch it, it would bounce, you know. We thought, we're about pretty proud of that son of a buck. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and I forget... Roy came here to the house about five or six, seven years ago. And he said, you know, I saw that hummingbird that me and you made at a guy's house. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I, I forget the guy's name, but Roy knows the guy's name. He said, I'm sitting in there and I look over there by wherever it was at. He says, where'd you get that? He said, oh, I bought that in the auction at the convention many years ago. He said, do you know who built that? He goes, yeah, me and Tom. We, <laughs> but it's kind of cool as you get older, you see your stuff, you know, you, I mean, anything you build, you stuff, people like it, it was a cool thing, but then that hummingbird thing, see, Roy Bloom took that hummingbird thing to the next level. He, uh, he said, Tom, do you think you can make one out of one piece? I says, I don't know. He says, you go home and think it. Because I had a pretty good analytical mind on how to, if I do this, out of one piece. You know, you got to make it out of one piece because you want to impress the blacksmith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I get home and all we had for really big stock, we had draft horse stock, you know, inch and a quarter by half. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, let's 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 see. We take an inch and a quarter by half. And I went home and I, and my wife will tell you, I get on tangents. In other words, write songs, I write songs. And I'll write songs from the more time I get up to the time I go to bed. And I'm fully focused on that. And don't bother me with nothing else. But in them days, and I still go back and forth. I flow, I, I like to, I got too many interests, if you know what I mean, Gavin. I I, I just, too many interests. And I think right, you, yep. you both, guys both are like that. Because you go, wow, that's cool. I'm going to give that a go. On mm -hmm. that, but that's a cool thing. But anyway, I go in the in the bedroom and I'm laying there in bed, and I'm thinking, all right, if I take it like that, I'm now I got a piece of paper and I'm drawing what I got to do on the paper. Next morning, I called Roy. We didn't have cell phones. 
we didn't have no answer machines either. Because if we did, we wouldn't listen to them anyway. <laughs> but anyway, Roy, I called Roy. I said, Roy, I got that, that hummingbird making it in one piece. He goes, you come over tonight and let's do it. So we did. We got it done. So Roy, I don't know, what was it, four years ago when they were in Abana and, and Craig took trailer over there in Virginia for Abana. He had the trailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roy made a hummingbird there. Because somebody had a video, and I was watching Roy build that hummingbird. And uh, I thought, you know, I ain't made one. The only one I made was that one, that, that first one that I made where we figured it out how to build it. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to make one of those. So I called Roy up and said, what was the stock you used? What, what, how'd you measure that thing? He goes, well, you're the one that showed me. I said, well, I can't remember, Roy. <laughs> see, Roy will take something, and he makes it better. He really does. He he just, he can do that. He's got that. He knows how to, well, we could do this, and it'll make it better, and we'll do that, and he could do it. But since then... I made a pile of them just to say, well, I could, I know how to do it now again. I know, <laughs> but that was a cool thing. The, the coolest thing though, was about two or three months later, Roy get used to get the Ambles ring, which is a magazine from Abana. And, uh, he calls me on the phone. He said, Tom, there's a one piece hummingbird in this book. And it, and it, uh, he says, a guy lives in, I forget, straight due east to where me and Roy live. On the same, what is that? Uh, latitude. Latitude or horizontal, yeah. right? Latitude. <clears throat> Longitude's yeah. up and down. He's lived on the same latitude as, as us. He says, mm-hmm. but, but his hummingbird was different. It was made out of one piece, but they cut it, and then they pulled the wings off the top and then split those wings. And I like those. Those are okay, but I think the one me and Roy makes are kind of a little cooler because you can make it into an airplane or anything you want it to. Eagles. But anyway, mm-hmm. Roy goes, this guy must have had the same freaking ideas as you did at the very same time. <laughs> so he tells that story all the time. He says there's, a, there's an idea sphere out there, and it bounces on the earth. <laughs> You'll get it. If not, it'll bounce off your head and hit somebody else. <laughs> That's a good one. But you got to build it, right? You got to build it and they will come. That's what I always say. Just like that movie. But you're kind of one of the uh the first uh like projects that I remember seeing that you had built and it always still sticks with me is the 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 bull, the bucking bull that you made. <laughs> That sculpture. That's one of my favorites. That was built for a good friend of mine who was raising bucking bulls at the time. And he used to be a horseshoer. And uh, he became an auctioneer, which is really a good job. It's not hard on your back. You get to wear nice clothes. (laughs) Anyway. Don't get dirty. (laughs) Right, right. But I kind of like getting dirty. But... Doug Doug was raising these bucking bulls and taking some to Texas to do whatever. And Doug Hahn, good friend, I still love him. He's he lives in Watsika, which is about a I don't know an hour and twenty minutes south of me. 
and uh, he owns a chuck wagon, a real nice chuck wagon too. Um, we made a lot of parts and stuff for that chuck wagon, but uh, he says, "Tom, can you make me a steel bucking bull?" Now I I love my friends, and I think you guys will be in the same when I tell you this. You'll probably when your friend asks you to build something, you don't really want to charge them, do you? It kind of bothers you to charge them. It hmm. bothers me. And you go, oh, yeah, I'll build you one, Doug. Well, you know you're not going to charge them, so you kind of put it off on the back burner. You kind oh, of, yeah. Because you go, I'll work on that when I get time. Because I'm not. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I did that for a long time, for about six, seven months. He was bugging me. So I was in my shop here, I was at the Forge, and I had a young man in here. Good, I gave him my shoeing business. He's a good kid. And Doug come in, and uh, I'm working over there, and I don't hear him talking over there. And uh, I got a sweat block over here. And when Doug left, there was a $500 check laying on this sweat block with a hammer on top of it. And it, I looked at it and it said "bull" on it. <laughs> that bull. And I go, "What? What did Doug do? Leave this check here for?" He said, "Well, he walked over to the door and was talking to me while you were working." I said, "What do I got to do to get him to make that bull?" <laughs> Leave some money. <laughs> that he said, "We'll probably give him some money. He'll probably get started." <laughs> Well, I called him, Doug, this is your money here. I said, I, he said, nope, I know what it is. I'm going to pay you to build that bull. And he paid me very, very, very well. That wasn't the first installment. Bull oh, nice. Four pounds. And I, I started it one day, probably two or three days later, I said, you come and I'm going to show you what I'm starting with. And I think I had a piece of two inch by... Two inch by inch and three quarter. And I put the arch in the back of that for the bull to go up. I kind of sketched it on the table. I said, here's what I'm going to do. And uh, to forge it all out of one piece, you couldn't. I mean, you'd have trouble. In my mind, the, the way I seen it. So I made the body. Then I forged four heads for it to get the one I wanted. There's heads laying around here somewhere. And then forge the legs, and then I would add stuff with a MIG, MIG welder and blend stuff where I would. And he would come in here and he'd go, well, that tail's got to have a little more twist in it. Now, <laughs> now, who's the artist here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's paying who here? <laughs> but it came out real sweet. And uh, I took it down because... He said, I'll pay to have a mold made of that for bronzes. I've sold probably about five of them bronzes. I don't push them. But I had bronzes made from that. But I got it. Really? Steel, the steel one looks better than the bronzes in my, because you could see the, the hand in it, you know? Yeah. The original. <laughs> yeah. But now, I was pretty proud of that. And he went and spent good money for a table that, Makes one revolution for a minute, and then it sits on there. And in its front room, he's got lights on it. Oh, it's quieter now. 
experience. You could sit around and drink wine and watch it all night. But that's cool. But yeah, he's proud of that, and I'm proud he asked me. And it came out, it came out pretty good. I was sending Roy pictures, saying, "Well, does this look right? Does that look right?" I had probably forty pictures of bucket bulls all over my. So no matter where I went, I could look up and say, "Oh yeah, their legs are like this, or this is the way they look when they do that." And, and you know, you you always miss the mark somewhere. You really do. When when you're you're going to look at something like that and you go, "Well, that angle right there is bad." You know. Then you say, "Well, how could I have fixed it?" Well, maybe if I fixed it there, it would have messed up this angle. You, mm -hmm. So sometimes you got to go. I'm done. And I, I came to that thing. The, the horns on that thing are stainless. And the the rope, the flank rope, is stainless too. And then we're, that was probably the most pain in the ass, making that stainless flank rope. <laughs> but it came out sweet. And uh, I was glad he asked me. Well, I tell you, I... Uh... I love that piece, and I think it's like one of the coolest ones that I've seen you do. And I even, uh, if we get on a conversation with some friends or whatever, I'll, I brag and I show them a picture of that thing because it's well, that cool. Like it's pretty there's awesome. Some, I made punches for his eyes. I could have done. I could have got in there with a Dremel tool and played around, but I didn't. I made punches, and I made punches for the noses. You know, they're. It looks kind of like a teardrop thing. Or a yin and yang thing, you know what I mean? That yep, yep. whatever that is. But it's kind of like a deal. And then you got to make two of them because you can't put them both on the same. So you make them all and you. I'm really, I'm really, I got a lot of punches. But a lot of times I'll pick it up and say, what did I make that for? Pick something else out of it, you know. That's what one thing guys don't understand. You don't have to leave stuff the way it is. You can change it. Make it suit you. They, uh -huh. Roy come in here when he was started making all them tools. and He moved when he started doing all that. And I says, he says, I'm making pretzels. I said, well, how many pretzels you got to make? He goes, oh, I've made thousands of them. I thought, I've got about four pretzels. I've had them pretty much my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> well, he says, thank God the people that buy my pretzels are not like you. Because <laughs> yeah. I know guys, and I'm sure you guys do too, you know if you got a good piece of steel made out of, a pretzels made out of a good piece of steel, right? Well, if the tip breaks, you can fix it. You're a black. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. But a lot of them, chuck them in a truck, and they go buy a new one. They just... Yep. Now, me, I'm not. I, my first pretzels were made out of coil spring. That's what we did. Well, mm -hmm. you give me a piece of good steel. Now, what? A, <laughs> now, I'm out of it. So, I, I see guys come in here and they'll go, oh, yeah, I broke that pretzel. I'm going to get a new one. I'll say, well, can I have that one? <laughs> and they'll go, yeah. You can mm -hmm. make it out of it. I'm a, like, goes back to me being a tightwad. I can make anything work. I Roy used to say, you're the only guy I know to go out and shoe horses with a handful of nails and a claw hammer and make it look all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old horseshoe. 
and I'm glad to see good people like you boys in it. There's a lot of good people out there. All these youngsters that are out there in the in the world championship blacksmiths. It's good to watch. I love to sit down and watch you guys because you guys are bringing it to the next level, and you gathered yeah. up so much information through the years and. And I'm glad you boys are doing it. it. It makes us proud as old timers. We go, man, Roy, we didn't have them tools, but you guys take it to a next level. And then hopefully there'll be another group that'll take it to the next level. Absolutely. It's an independent job. And it's it's the best job in the world being a, a horseshoer, in my opinion. I used to pray at night, and I mean this. I would say, Lord, let me always be a horseshoer. I would. I said, Lord, don't never let me have to quit. But I had to quit, and I got. I got really sad about that. When I, I felt like I lost my identity. You guys yeah. have been to parties or something, and you'll find twelve carpenters there. You'll find ten truck drivers there, but usually only one horseshoer. And you're. Usually. And guess what? It does make you go. I'm the horse. Uh huh. It's a proud, proud occupation. I, and I tell people, I say, <clears throat> they'll say, "Oh, you charge too much. You do this. You do that." I said, "Well, I don't see a line of guys wanting to come over here and shoe your horse. There's not a line of guys out there waiting to freaking shoe your horse. There's not many of us. Not the good ones. Not the ones that strive to do the best. They're they're not out there." And that's why a horseshoer gets paid well. Mm-hmm. Good, you should get paid well. Simple as that. And always be pushing that envelope. Don't worry about it. Push that envelope. Get a little more money. Get a little more talent. Get a little more money. You know who Dan Hausman is? There's, yeah. Well, me and Dan went to horseshoeing school together. And and we okay. were terrors. We were... They. <laughs> They, we we did everything that we wasn't supposed to, really. But we were worried about getting off at 4.30. We wanted to get out of school so we could go play pool. Okay. So, and it was, a, it was a college town, so there was all kind of stuff to do. So we, was always, so we would walk around, and me and, me and Dan already knew how to clinch pool shoes when we went. So we had a pretty good understanding of shoeing horses when we went. So we would get done quick, as quick as we could with our horse. And we had to make handmaids. And uh, we would walk around because they wouldn't let you leave until the last guy's done. Well, we wanted them to be done at 4.30. Yeah, we got pool to go play. (laughs) So we would go, hey, get that shoe from that guy, John. Speed this yeah, up. we we pushed him on, but Dan Dan makes a lot of money. Dan he's one of them big jumping horse guys, and I'm proud of him. I love him. We had a lot of good times together that guy, and he used to work with Roy occasionally too. We had a lot of good good shoers around here when I was younger. Now there's a lot of good ones around here now, but I just don't know them real well, and I I don't get to see their work, and I don't get to you know. Is there any more questions? Man, yeah. you you got one more. <laughs> Shoot for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I kind of want to talk about uh, you got to 
judge a WCB oh. contest this year with Roy. Yeah. How was that? Me, Roy, and Terry Holst. Yep. Great time. I, I was nervous as a cat, you know. In other words, I couldn't poop for a day. Because <laughs> you want to be fair. You know, you really want to be fair. And mm -hmm. Roy, he said, well, here's what we'll do. You, you do this, and then I'm going to do that. And then I said, all right, you're the boss. That's the way we'll do it. So, but it was, uh, it was really, really fun, but it was really, really hot and humid up there that, that weekend. It was horribly hot and humid, but them boys pushed forward and they, everybody did good work up there. That, uh, that Troy Wood boy, he's a good kid, ain't he? Yeah. 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 Now you, he's something. He really is. He's an impressive boy. I really like him. Uh, but, but when it came to, see, a lot of guys don't really know if I was a horseshoer before, you know, it don't mm -hmm. say CF or CJF on my name here, but I am a CF. I just got tired of it. I, that's another story. But anyway, I am a CF, but, and I never con competed much because I had a heart thing going on when I was younger. Roy didn't even know mm -hmm. about it. And uh, since then, I've gotten it taken care of. But it was uh, where my heart would go real, real fast. And it wasn't AFib. It was superventricular tachycardia caused by Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. And I made my own diagnosis. I went got two heart books. And I was cross-referencing because I didn't have a doctor at the time. And I said, that's what I got right there. And sure enough, they did the... I wore a thing on my hip. I was shooing a draft horse, and it kicked in and started doing it, so I got to record it, and they saw it, and they fixed it. So anyway, I, I did one contest, and my heart kicked in, and I was competing against Roy Bloom and Dan Hausman, and uh, Bob Parks, he won that, that class, because Roy came to me. He said, you could get in the tongue making. It's 45 minutes long. I, I forget what the steel was, but... He said, you don't have to make a rivet. He said, they'll make, they're going to give you a rivet. And the reins had to be certain length. I said, well, I ain't got a partner. You got my buddy Dan Hausman. He's going to be your partner, and he's a heck of a striker, man. I mean, he came from the Raptors. And I says, I ain't got no striker. He says, well, I want you to do it with the four-pound hammer. You Get Kim to you know, hand you tools and stuff. So Kim, my wife, she, I, we kind of went through it a couple times. Every time I stopped to shoe horses, I would make a pair of tongs. Just so we got out there, and, man, I got in the middle of that coal, coal forges in the truck, you know. <clears throat> I burn up a rain. And then since then, I found out that caffeine could make that kick in, too, that heart. Got... Yeah, yeah. so I was always sucking down Pepsis or coffee in the morning. <laughs> and I... It was hot then, and my heart kicked in. I burned up a rain. I pulled the other one out, laid it on the back of the truck, and I sat down in the truck. And Roy never knew I had these things either. And Kim, Kim says, what's going on, Tom? I said, well, yeah, my heart's doing the thing. Brr. He says, oh. And I had about a half hour, uh, probably 25 minutes left in the thing. And Roy sees me sitting in the truck, and he runs over, and he says, what are you doing? I said, oh, I burn up rain, so I'm not, I'm done. I ain't going to do it no more. 
He goes, they'll give you another piece of steel. I'm done. He runs over to the judge who was Danny Ward. And he was a great guy. Danny Ward was wonderful. And uh, he runs over there and he comes running back with a piece of steel. He goes, here, here's your other piece of steel. Well, they you had to make your own rivet. <laughs> oh. And Roy brought a rivet header with him. You know, he can make a rivet. I didn't bring one because he said they're going to give you a rivet. Uh-huh. Dang it, Roy. <laughs> so Roy and Dan's over there, they're pounding, I thought, and then my heart reverted. It went, and it would go from doing that real fast and then go right back. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Perfect. And it was in the Marine Corps, it happened a few times, but it wouldn't last more than maybe 15 seconds. And then it'd wait a couple months and do it again. Well, it, it got so bad here. 10 years ago where it would do it about every day and it would last 45 minutes. So it, it, it's mm. no fun. But anyway, I got, I got the piece of steel out and I rammed that thing through and I, I forged it, but we didn't put the fancy little nipples on them. You know, the tits on the, it would just had to be a pair of tongs. It had to hold, I forget what size stock. And I remember what Danny said. He said, I'm going to stick a piece of three inches. I mean, three foot of this stock sideways in your tongs, shake them. And if they, slop out because that's going to be a bad thing so he says i want them things to hold from the end you know three feet so that's what i had in my mind i'm going to make these freaking things hold that steel i don't care what they look like well they look like captain caveman pounding them out but i <laughs> then i threw them on the ground probably two minutes before the buzzer went and roy's over there with a file making his all pretty yeah <laughs> Well, Roy, Roy and Dan came in third, and we came in fourth, me and my wife. So I went, well, that ain't too bad for sitting down half the time. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that was the last time I was in a contest. Uh, but that, that one up there, the WCB, was a wonderful experience. I enjoyed it greatly. We Something I was wondering about is it hasn't been on a shoe list ever before, why'd you guys choose a hook and the links like who and who kind of thought of that idea between you Roy and uh Terry? well Roy come to me and and he said they well they asked us last year to be judges and I kind of felt bad I said well I don't shoe horses much no more I says that's and Roy goes oh no 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 you're gonna be one of the judges you're going to be one and I said yeah but I don't make many shoes I says, uh, well, Roy says, you don't have to make a shoe. So I says, I'm going to call Craig. I said, Craig, look, I don't want to make a shoe because I don't make many shoes. I don't think I have very much credibility in making shoes. He says, Tom, you make whatever you want to make. That's that's what he said. Nice. I called Roy and I said, uh, see, that's called, I, well, Clifton Routh used to call it a a, a blacksmith hook. And but it usually had a devil's tail on it. But he showed me and Roy 35, 40 years ago on paper how to build one of those hooks. He drew he loved to draw things and he was he was the best power hammer man. Clifton Ralph was it when it came to a power hammer. And that's where Roy got a lot of his education on the power hammer. 
But he showed us how to do it on paper. And he probably did show Roy how to build one on the power hammer. But after he showed us how to build one, I was, as a young man, I was always trying to build them. <clears throat> I didn't realize, well, you could get another pair of tongs because uh, us as farriers, I never saw one of them bolt tongs in my life. You know, I was using flat tongs that we used to make shoes. So well, how am I going to hang on to this thing? <laughs> tongs out there, go look, you know. So, so I, I, Roy says, well, that's what they can make is that hook. And Roy said, and let them make about five lengths. I said, no, that's enough. They only got an hour. Let's a hook and two lengths and a ring. And uh, it's a good exercise for forging that hook if it's mm -hmm. done correctly. And Clifton said, build one of them hooks, you could be a blacksmith. That's what he'd say. So that's why we did that. It was really a nod to, to Clifton Ralph. Clifton was a heck of a blacksmith. And he was, a like I say, a power hammer man. He'd love your power hammer, Riley, because he... he <laughs> Before he died, he came in here and he saw my shop. And I, I tried to keep my shop halfway squared away because he only lived about 16 miles away from where I live now, Clifton did. And he came in here. We had a party. Dan Hausman was here and stuff. And Clifton was toward the end there when he was getting about ready to pass, 80-something. And he walks in my shop and he'd shuffle, kind of walking, and he'd cuss a lot. And he smoked cigarettes without any filters. And uh, he walked in the shop, and he had a walker, and he stopped. And I'll use the words he said. He looked around, he went, this ain't no damn shop. This is a hospital. <laughs> he said, why are you too, too damn clean? And then he looked at my, he goes, oh, that thing just, just. Pet, 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 pet. <laughs> Nothing. So if he's in your hammer, he'd be really proud of you. He'd probably like my shop then, too, because it's messy as all get out. <laughs> you know what? I I am a messy person. I In the house, I'm a mess. Okay? Where I sit, there's all kind of crap. There's, <laughs> there's pocket knives. There's this, that, and the other, you know, and I don't want move once I'm sitting there and uh and I'm a mess and then my shoeing truck in the cab it was pretty messy it was horse hair all over it you know <laughs> horse shit in the floor but but in the back part where I worked I tried that tidy and Roy taught me that Roy did he said if you keep your shit squared away in your shop then when you have an idea to build something, then you know where your stuff is at and it don't slow you down to building something. And I go, so that's what I try to do in my shop. But I've had two shops. This is my second one. My other one's down the hill over here. That one down there was a, you'd come out of there anemic because the, the mosquitoes would eat you alive. and You'd climb up the hill weak and everything because you lost. <laughs> it was horrible so Roy come here and he said well build a shop right outside your door you got property here build it so I built it and I just didn't build it big enough because Roy came in here when I was building it and he said 
you know, this place is going to shrink real fast. I said, shrink? It's in, it's concrete. It can't shrink. <laughs> he said, no, no. No, you don't have the room. You're going to have stuff in here. Well, I thought, no, this is plenty big. Well, he's right. It shrank real fast. And a lot mm -hmm. of times, I got a lot of friends, and I'm thankful for that. You got to be a friend to have friends. That's the way it works. Absolutely. <laughs> and But they'll come in my shop, and they want to, Hey, Tom, could you help me build this? Hey, Tom, can you help me do this? Well, then they leave their projects in my shop. Now I feel bad about getting rid of their projects, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I'll go, well, that ain't mine. That's theirs. This one here's theirs. That <laughs> It shrinks because of that. So we've already thought about putting another wing up, but we ain't done it yet. That'll be the friend zone. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you Another thing, it, I guess we're all kind of like uh, well, them hoarders, kind of. Because, you know, you could look through your scrap pile and go, I remember I, how I dicked that one up. That mm -hmm. I don't want to throw that away. <laughs> the piece of you, you know. It's kind of like all you horseshoers got them big loaves of horseshoes. <laughs> I'm guilty of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I ain't getting rid of them. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but I know what you mean. But my shop is the same way. We try to clean it now and again. And then I go, well, I made that ring to show a guy how to weld a ring. I might use that one day on a project. Well, I got seven rings. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. Uh, and I don't. I, I'm a cold guy because we're, when I grew up, it was coal. We didn't have Coke. Okay. And uh, then they started getting the Coke thing going. But I love coal, but it's harder to teach people how to run coal because, you know, they don't get the part about, all right, it's coal, green coal here. Then it's got to go over here to Coke up. And then that's when the BTUs come out of it. You know, they don't get that part because when you're doing Coke, you can just throw it on and you're coking, you know. But there's something about working a coal fire that I just kind of enjoy. It's kind of laid back, if you know what I'm saying. And you try to keep your fire together. And you, it, and I don't like propane much for nothing. But yeah, I'm not, yeah, but yeah. it's useful in some applications. Some things you go, oh, man, I got that. I could put that in that. But I use it for different things, but I don't like to use it. I really just another tool for the tool right right it, it's there for if you need it and i always call them fire breathing dragons because you know you burn all the hair off your hands when you're running oh, yeah. i don't care so i've made i've made tongs this long three so you can grab it not burn yourself <laughs> another thing and then you're you're trying to be tough and there's around and you're trying to get that piece and and you're burning bad, ain't you? You are. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, you grab a hold of that, and your hands already blistered up. Yeah. <laughs> Is it still working? Yes, yep, sir. We got you. All right, brother. I'm gonna have to get my wife come home from church, and she's supposed to fry me some chicken. Oh, awesome. Nice. Well, hey, we appreciate it very much, Tom, and. Thank you for everything you've done for our trade and bringing so much art to life. 
We, uh, you're a brain that I enjoy very yes, much. I enjoy you guys, both of you guys. You guys, uh, and I'm glad to see you guys know how to run them computers because <laughs> I, I have, you know who. We're learning. Let me let me think. You know Mike Edwards, right? The guy. Yep. I love him. Mike Edwards, great horseshoer, spur maker, belt buckle maker. We were talking about computers. And he goes, Tom, I don't know about you, but if I'm on that computer and it says download, he says, I run to the kitchen. I'm just, wait. I go, I don't want to download that. What is it? In our minds, our minds don't work. Like, like they say, well, you got to do this, push that to go to here, to go to there. Well, my mind don't work like that. I, I want to turn it on, turn it off. I want to be there when I post the button. That's, that's why I was afraid to do this. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to do it, but I did it. You did great. Then when they ask for a password, well, then you go, well, I got 17 passwords. I know. <laughs> it's it, anxiety. I don't need that. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, boys. Have a great day, and thank you for asking me to be on it. Thank, thank you very you, much, Tom. Right, how do we get out of it? You uh, just you'll just hit the uh, hit the leave button, and that's All right, it. Then. See ya. See ya, Tom. Leave button. See, you can't find it now. There ain't no leave button. It's the red one. Oh, I got it. Leave studio. See, to me, that, yep. yes, that's not a studio. I'm in a shop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. See ya, Tom. Man, that is great. Tom has some like incredible stories and he can just go on. It was for so hours. good, dude. That was so good. We could have Tom on again. Oh yeah. I would dude, it would be awesome to have him and Roy together. That's what I was just thinking. Dude, they're both always at the winter clinic. I, yeah, I was just thinking. Dude, them in person would be so fucking funny, dude. Yeah. I hope so uh, funny. Hope we could do that. In the well, I, it'd be smart. Try, like if we try to get Roy to do this before oh, then, singular. Yep. Yeah. So then they both like everybody's introduced to Roy and Tom. Yeah, that'd be great. And then we could have them together just going off on things. <laughs> dude. It would be so freaking good. Well, I guess we're just going to have to try to get old Royden Royden on here. And, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get a send Roy a message and tr try to get him on here. that will be pretty good. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to this episode with Tom Willoughby. Um, you could leave us a review and let us know what you think. And if you have any questions, you know, you can go to our Instagram page, Forge Your Brains Podcast, and uh, leave us a message or a comment. Or you can also go to the YouTube channel, Forge Your Brains Podcast, and leave us a comment there. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>